Blog Talk Radio. Oh, man. What's going on, Jaquan? Not much. What's going on, Dylan? Just sitting here, man, getting ready for the weekend. We've got a huge slate of games coming up, buddy. Yeah, man. Uh, what about this last weekend? It's been crazy. It was supposed to be a, a calm weekend, and we got a whole lot of upheaval. Um, a whole lot more than I was expecting. I mean, who's expecting Georgia Tech to win on a walk-off block field goal, man? Uh, absolutely, and I guess the oddsmakers know what you're talking about. Utah being the number three team in the country, going to USC as an underdog and getting spanked by the Trojans after firing us. Yeah, I got to admit, I, that I, was, <clears throat> I was pretty upset that uh, Utah was that big of an underdog. I did not see USC pulling it out. I don't really understand it because USC is not a good team. Utah is by far a better team. I don't know what happened. Well, you know what? I think USC is a better team than they thought they were. They have a lot of weapons, but it just goes to show you how bad coaching can tear a good team down that has all the tools to be a good team, but they just underachieved with Sark, and they came out and played with a, a renewed focus. I guess that's what happens when your coach isn't drunk on the sideline. Yeah, and actually, I'll admit, I completely forgot about Sarkeesian being gone. Uh, that'll kind of go to – I guess that goes to that point that I've told you this before, that um, – when a team gets a new coach, you get a couple weeks to a year of outstanding play where it seems like the tide has turned. It's one reason why I don't judge coaches until they've been there around two or three years to see what their actual level is. But I didn't take that into that into consideration at all. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 that's all I can put it on, right? I mean, because it's not like they got anybody back really from injury. The only thing that was different was they got an interim head coach versus having a Sark, and you just saw the – the difference on the field, I'm I'm shocked at it. I didn't see that coming at all. That was that was wild. That was ridiculous, and that was that was a beatdown almost from the get go. Yeah, that it really was. I mean, they came out and put their foot on their throat. From uh, you know, I was watching it. I was not watching it. Uh, well, I talked about Ohio State at the same time and Florida State and Georgia Tech. And uh, you know, after a while, Ohio State with JT Barrett just showed what Urban Meyer should have been doing since from the get go. But you know, I'll I'll leave it alone. He finally got the right decision made, even though it took them seven weeks. But I was watching that game, and they just came out, and they just, they just put their foot on Utah's throat, and they never really let up. So, I mean, we got a great slate of 7 o'clock games, 8 o'clock games that, um, on Saturday, and then Tennessee giving Alabama everything they could handle. Um, I kind of saw that coming, uh, but I thought that Alabama would pull more away in the second half, and they really didn't. And Tennessee had a chance to win that game. They just came up short. Yeah, that kind of puts a sour taste in my mouth after what Alabama did to the dogs and just completely wrecking them. Tennessee's a mediocre team. They've got some talent, but they are they are not that talented of a squad. And they could pretty much, for the most part, they were stopping Alabama until you know Derrick Henry broke off a few big ones. But yeah, by and large, that was that was a good game for both teams by and large. There was not one point where I looked at a team. I kept waiting for Bama to jump ahead, but at no point did it look like either team was just blowing by the other one. Yeah. And, you know, we had a, a, our text conversation during that game. It, I think you finally swayed me uh, to the dark side of must go because when I'm looking at Dobbs, what he would do for Georgia right now, in theory, if they had recruited him to play quarterback, that's how trying to switch positions on him. I mean, not even you Dobbs. Struggling. Deshaun Watson. Yeah, he didn't even get a too. look. Yeah, he didn't even I, get I, an offer. That wow! I, I, they didn't even offer him. 
No, did not even give him an offer. Whoa. That's one of the things that people talk about when you let top talent get out of the state. I mean, yeah, you want to you run a pro style system, but what is so bad about having somebody who throws the ball but can get away and run? I mean, just because you get somebody to dual threat doesn't mean you have to design run plays and zone reads for them. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, perfect example. Yeah, even if you do, you don't have to do it all the time, right? You know, it could be a part of the playbook that you break out here and there so teams don't key on it, but I don't see anything wrong with having a quarterback that can run the ball. I I don't get that. And watching Dobbs, basically almost, you know, him and her just keep will themselves Tennessee into that game. It just made me look at Mark Rick like when you're going through this quarterback dilemma that you're going through now and you let those two guys get away, two young guys get away, uh, I, like I said, I think you finally convinced me that he, the times have passed him by. I don't, I don't, I can't explain it. There's no reasonable explanation for not offering those guys. And I can see why their their line of thinking is they're an eye back team. They're not a shotgun formation team, and that's all well and good. But you you mold the system to fit the player. You don't mold Absolutely. the player to fit the system. And if the best quarterback yeah. come out, we're just lucky that Eason is a drop-back quarterback. Otherwise, they wouldn't have offered him. Yeah, you can't be that rigid in your recruiting and in your game plan. And when you have that, when you have that kind of talent, you see that kind of talent on tape, you know, in high school. Like, you know, we have to get these guys. We can't – not only do we need them for ourselves, we can't let them go to a rival, you know. Even exactly. if you're doing somewhat of a, a piece of – you know, keep away from the other teams. You know, you can't let them go to the SEC or, you know, or stay in the ACC and potentially see them in the bowl game. I, I I don't understand. I mean, it's like Bama. I mean, they always – they consistently have five, four- to five-star running backs on their roster. They don't ever use these guys. They've had Bo Scarborough sitting there apparently ready to play for, like, the past three weeks. The whole point of that is just yeah. so nobody else gets him. Yeah, I, I, I can't understand it. And while we're talking about Mark Rick, I'm going to go ahead and let you have the floor here because this is a big week for Georgia. I mean, if they want to have any shot of staying in this SEC East race, they have to beat Florida in the cocktail party. They do. Uh, I actually have a few scenarios, and then I'll give you my pick later. If Georgia wants to win this game, they have to do these things. One, and this I believe is the most important thing, they should have been doing this all year long, you have to put Michelle, Sony Michelle, and Keith Marshall on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. They should have been doing it with Chubb and Michelle, especially with their receiver depth down. But they have Malcolm Mitchell and Terry Godwin's coming on, but he's a freshman and he still has to learn his route tree, and that's a huge, huge thing to do when you're going against Florida, who you know Vernon Hargreaves is going to completely take away Malcolm Mitchell. Anybody else thinking mm-hmm. otherwise? That's I don't know what you're watching. I don't know why you'd think that because it's <laughs> <laughs> Vernon Hargreaves is an absolute monster. Um, and their second corner is no slouch. He he's got I think he's got three touch uh, three interceptions returned for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to do that, you need to put Sony in the slot at times. And the only way you're going to really get a beat, the only thing you have over this Florida defense is their linebackers. They're, those are their only weakness, is their middle linebackers. They have got a great front four, front three, front four, however they want to switch it up. They have two great corners, but their safeties and their middle linebackers. Those are their two weaknesses. Those are where you can exploit a mismatch. 
And Sony, I'm sorry, you are not going to beat Florida if you're running Sony Michelle up the middle 25 times a game. If you want to do that, you need to let Keith Marshall run up the middle. He's a bigger back. And I'm not saying give him 20 carries, but you need to get Keith Marshall 15 touches, maybe maybe 10 to 15 touches. And then you need to get Michelle maybe 20 total touches. But those need to be spread out between runs and passes, et cetera, et cetera. No more of this Brendan Douglas getting more carries than Keith Marshall. I had, I don't know what possessed him to do that when, at that point, you had a straight-ahead runner who was getting you two yards of carry. I understand he can pass block, but you just completely killed any momentum you had in that game with Missouri when you bring him in here. I've yeah, got a few uh, more. And I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just want to pick up. No, you go ahead. Do you think it's going to hurt? Do you think it's going to hurt them? Because I heard that uh, Sony's got a, a bit of a growing injury happening right now. So, what, do you think that'll limit what they're going to do with them in the slot now? Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think they'll make the change to begin with. So, no, I don't think it'll hurt them. I think they'll stick <laughs> with exactly what they've been doing. Uh, and it's one thing I've talked to you about. Mark Rick does not make adjustments. He goes with one game plan, and if somebody gets hurt or if it's not working, then basically you are screwed. He does not have the ability to change his game plans, and he's stubborn to the point of foolishness. Yeah, clearly. But one of the other bigger things they have to do, they have to get those tight ends involved. I have no idea why you haven't used your tight ends. Both of those two are giant mismatches against good linebackers and good safeties, and you haven't used them at all. I don't think either of them has 15 catches this season. And wow. that's just that's just ridiculous. Blazevich and Jay Rome, they are both gigantic mismatches. Even if you just use Rome in the red zone, you've been so bad in the red zone, why wouldn't you want a 6-7 target in there who can jump who was a power forward on the basketball team? Yeah, and, it, it and, just and blows my mind. That, yeah, and a piece of that, just to piggyback on that, is that when you watch Alabama and Tennessee, O.J. Howard was just, a man against Tennessee, helping them keep drives alive in the middle of the field. So when you just position that with what Georgia's not doing, and they have three of them, I, I, I see your point. It's got to be a, a source of frustration for a Georgia fan. Oh, it's a huge source of frustration, and it has been for – it's been brewing this way for the last three years. Over the last three years, Georgia has increasingly gone away from using their tight end. I don't understand why you're going to recruit a five-star tight end if you're not going to use the five-star tight end. You're basically taking away the scholarship you could have used on somebody else. Yeah, you're breaking just, up a little bit. There's a whole big list. I said I don't understand why you recruit a five-star tight end only to not use a five-star tight end. It makes no sense to me. You're taking the scholarship you could have used on a different four-star player. And this week, they're going to have to suck it up and do it because that's going to be your only matchups. Marshall's not going to get away from Hargreaves. Florida is too fast to really go sideline to sideline, and you don't really have a running back, but you can give it to you 30 times between the tackles. So you're going to have to do things differently, which leads me to people will rag on the quarterback situation, and they'll rag on Grayson for it, and I understand why. He's crazy and consistent. He's scared to throw the deep ball, and I almost wish he would throw the deep ball more. I was a little bit happier in the Missouri game that he took more deep shots. Yeah, he had a bunch of throws yeah. that should have been intercepted. But I'll live with those if you're at least taking the shots. Because if you're not going to – I would have rather he did it with Nick Chubb when the play-action game would have worked better. But right. that's the only way you're going to get these 
freshman wide receivers open. And they are getting Isaiah McKenzie back. But for Georgia to have a chance in this game, I don't know what they're going to do on defense, especially with Dominic Sanders has to sit out the half for uh, that targeting penalty that he had, which was just a boneheaded play. One of the few targeting yeah. penalties I've seen this year where I completely agreed with it. Georgia fan that I am, yeah. I looked at that and just said, you idiot. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I don't think Florida having Treon Harris is a disadvantage. I think Treon Harris is a better fit for Florida against this Georgia defense. If I'm Georgia, I'm taking Leonard Floyd. I'm taking him off pass rushing duties, and I'm telling him to spy Treon Harris the entire game. And then I'm going to put Lorenzo Carter on the line. I don't care if he's in the doghouse. I want Lorenzo Carter and Jordan Jenkins on the edge. And you tell them to set the edge and disrupt plays. Trenton Thompson has come along nicely. Chris Mays comes back. So you've got two big guys in the middle who you hope can plug. But I'm going to move I'm going to move Floyd to the middle. I'm going to set him back an extra yard and tell him to just spy the quarterback. I'm going to put Kimbrough up there instead of Jake Gaines. I know you'll lose a little bit in coverage. But I'll let Sean Harris beat me passing. I do not want them to run 400 yards on you again. It, you just can't yeah. do that in this league and win. Absolutely. I think that would be a great game plan because even outside of that, just to run for the 400 yards, what you don't want is to play great defense for first and second down and get it to third and seven, and then you rush wild, you know, coming around the edges, and he just steps up and beats you for 10 yards and keeps the drive alive. So having that spot there would definitely cut down some of that too. And those are those those quality plays that keep the drive alive that don't really show up in the box score, but they keep it moving. And then you look up and say, how did they end up with a touchdown or even a field goal when they were, in, you know, I see them have two, three, two-thirds of longs is because the quarterback was able to break containment and, you know, and, and, and get a first down. So I totally agree with the spot. I think they're going to have to do it. If they don't do it for the whole game, they're going to definitely have to do it for third down and make sure they can get Florida off the field. I would do it the entire game because Dobbs showed you. In that second half against Georgia, Dobbs ran wild whenever he wanted to. Yeah. And Jake Gaines tries hard. He's got good instincts. He's just he's not quick enough to do that. Kimbrough's not fast enough to cover him. If you really want, you have to take away one running back. I mean, if you put Leonard Floyd in the middle, it is going to hurt your run defense because as much as I love Leonard Floyd, he is very small. He's very lean especially for a middle linebacker. If he gets – if offensive tackles and offensive guards get their hands on him, he's going to get moved. But mm-hmm. I think you live with that. I think you let one of Florida's rushers have a game. You cannot let the quarterback and Kelvin Taylor have a game. It has to be one or the other. And if it's me, I'd yeah, rather no. them – I'd rather rely on them putting Kelvin Taylor and running him up the middle every time. I'll have more hope that the defense won't break down because I don't want to see Treon Harris just bust runs up the middle for 30 yards. Absolutely. I understand that. So given all of that, what is your, what is your objective uh, <laughs> prediction? Even though I know it's hard to be objective. I know because you're a big dog fan, but I, I mean, you also look at the stats and the formations and all that good stuff that goes along with it. So how do you think this is going to end up playing out uh, in terms of the final score? Well, I'll make one more point on what Georgia has to do. Oh, okay. They want a shot at just one more point. Yeah. They have to make a. They have to score a special teams touchdown, or they have to have one of these non-offensive touchdowns. Whether it's pick six returned, fumble recovery turned, um, Isaiah McKenzie taking a punt to the house, it has to be done. Uh, they have to score a special teams touchdown to have a chance. Now, the fan in me wants to pick Georgia, 
but I'm going to pick Florida. And I oh. honestly, it pains it pains me to say it, but I don't think it's going to be close. I think Florida showed wow. you against LSU that they can handle playing against a run defense that's much better than Georgia's and is a much better defense all around. And I just don't think Georgia's going to be able to put up the points without Nick Chubb. I don't think Rick is going to be able to switch up enough in this bye week to really be able to make a dent on offense. Because you can you can score 21 points and you can beat Florida. For all the accolades and how good they've been this year, they're still not a fantastic team. They're not a fantastic offense, especially with Treon Harris having to throw the ball. But I don't know if this Georgia team can score 21 points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one, I guess that's our defense is pretty good, yeah. No, I would I would agree. I mean, that's going to be tough, and, you know, especially losing Chubb and then, you know, Sony not being 100%, and so many question marks with, you know, which Grayson are you going to get, and if you're going to take deep shots, and that Florida secondary is, is outstanding. I, I would tend to agree with that. Um, but with this rivalry, you know, you almost never know. Like last year, we thought Georgia was going to destroy Florida, and Florida just ran all over them. You look back at that game, like, how did none of us see this coming? So how did this happen? So and that's part of what scares me because last year's Bulldogs team was better than what they're going to be facing. That's what scares yeah, me a little but, bit. I'll make a prediction. I'll say it's going to be yeah. Can't go too high. It'll hurt too much. So I'll say twenty-four <laughs> to ten. I'll say twenty-four to ten. I'll say Georgia gets in the end zone once. I think, it, I think it it's going to be close to that. I hope you're right. I just I, looking at the players, looking at the coaches and the schemes. I don't see it. I'd like to see it, but I don't know if that dog defense. Uh, the really underrated thing, the thing against Missouri, the defense played very well against Missouri. Yep. But they were able to get on and off the field quickly. And Florida's offense mm-hmm. is a totally different beast than Missouri's. Um, and Georgia's offense can't go three and out. That is a lot to ask your defense to be on the field 20 to 30 minutes in a game. You can't do that to your defense and expect them to hold up. Uh, agree. And the reason why I think it's a little closer, I'm going to go – I like the 24. I think it's more of 24-21. is because I'm not totally convinced with Harris yet. You know, he's still young. And I think part of that was, you know, we're going to LSU, everybody's against us. They don't think I can do it. And I think he played a little bit over his head where now you're playing a cocktail party against a Georgia team that feels – you feel like, well, we can just put our jerseys on and go out there and beat them because they're so depleted. So I think he may, you know, step back. These are still young kids, and sometimes they play up to the competition and sometimes they play down to the competition. I think they're going to end up doing that with Georgia this week. So I think it's going to be a little closer, but without having that nail with uh, you know, putting the coffin with Chubb I, and not knowing what Grayson is going to do, I, I'm going to go with Florida as well. Um, so let's – Segue, so we're gonna spend the whole show there on Georgia. Those Falcons. I mean, Thanks. they just cannot win a pretty game to save their life. I don't understand how they struggle with Tennessee. I mean, I know you had to be sitting at home watching that. Like, why are we struggling with Tennessee when they don't even have Mariota in? Now, granted, you know, Metberger has a little bit more experience, but nothing about Tennessee on offense, especially, should have kept you know them in that game. I just I, I'm flabbergasted what's going on with the Falcons, especially Matt Ryan. I wasn't shocked to tell you the truth. Um while the really? six and one looks good. Yeah. I mean the Falcons have made a living this season off playing teams that haven't been good. I mean their combined record of their opponents right now they're averaging about two and a half wins. Uh but that's okay. 
that's that's okay. It's the NFL. You don't have to apologize for a win. Wins, style points don't matter in the NFL. It's just wins and losses. And I wasn't expecting much out of this year to begin with. It's the first year of a new coach, so the first few games everybody plays up. This is still a team severely lacking talent. And your point on Mettenberger and Mariota, it's a good point. It's two totally different styles of quarterbacks. And Mettenberger, honestly just didn't have a good game. There were open throws, and there were a lot of drop balls from the receivers. That one to Justin Hunter particularly sticks out, because that was just an awful oh, drop. Yes. And I don't I don't know what's going on with Matt. Uh, he was he was on a show today talking about, you know, they were interviewing him, and uh, he was saying it was his footwork. And it may be, because his, I don't think it's his arm. His, his balls aren't dipping under. His balls are soaring, which... Typically, it's footwork related or it's timing related. Um, mm-hmm. There's a whole lot you can go into. They're not. Devonta has been such a big surprise. I'm not. I'm a little surprised they're not running it more than they are. Uh, but before people get too carried away, Devonta's not a back that you give 25 carries a game and expect him to hold up. He is too small and he runs too violently for you to do that consistently in the league. But a few more times getting him the ball in space, whether you throw it to him more. Whether you you just got to do something. I mean, like when they went for it on fourth down, they had they went for it four straight, and they had a third and two, and then a fourth and two, and they threw the ball both times. Now I can understand yeah. throwing it once. I can understand throwing it once because you're trying to surprise the defense. I understand that. I'm behind that. I would play, it, but I would play action it and not run a slant. But if you know you're going to go for it on fourth, one of those times you have to give it to Devontae or bring in Tevin Coleman or even Teron Ward, and you've got to run it at least once. Because running it is so much easier than throwing it. There's so many less things that can go wrong. And when you only need a yard or two, you can typically just fall forward and get that. Uh, this Falcons team, it, it's, a lot of fans are getting caught up in the hype from the 5-0 and start. And, uh, you know, it's it's good to see them up on top. And this is a really bad division this year, as usual. Uh, Carolina looks for real, though. But um, Yes, they do. I say just take your six and one and be happy because if you looked before the season, you weren't expecting to come out of this opening stretch of games 500. No, and, and, and I would agree with that. But once you start to win and you know, and you know, you can't temper temper the expectations once you start to win and you're one of the few, you know, undefeated teams there for the first couple of weeks. And, you know, New Orleans is a hard place to play. So I'll give them that. And, you know, New Orleans needed a victory. They desperately needed a victory. So I'm going to give them that mulligan. Of the New Orleans How about New Orleans it's hard Indy, by the way? Yeah, and that's somebody else. Andrew Luck also taking a step back. Um, and I think they just have a lot of Huge problems in Indy with the coach. Yeah. yeah, but just the coach and the GM. Uh, I read an article today saying that they got into a shouting match outside after the fourth quarter in the hallway. Um, and they asked Bajano about his status again today. He says, you know, I'm just coaching while I'm here. You know, and that just doesn't sound like an organization that's in line together. And that trickles down into your locker room. So oh, definitely. Falcons, that's a bad time. Exactly. But for the Falcons, I'm looking at Matt Ryan with all the experience that he has, and how is it now that your footwork comes out of sync, you know, in the middle of the season, you know, after you've started undefeated? And also to your point of when you lose Hankerson to the, with the injury, why not be more creative and bring in Coleman and Devontae and put Devontae in the slide, run some of those Darren Sproles-type plays for him. I mean, there are things you can do to help mediate it because you know that Julio is getting double cover. So if you bring Devontae underneath that side, you know, he's got that whole flat to work on. 
I, it, I totally agree. I just agree. don't understand. Yeah, a lot of coaches are hesitant. Yeah, a lot of coaches are hesitant to put those backs in there at the same time. Personally, I don't understand it, especially because you're basically you're saying that you'd rather have your third or fourth string receiver catch the ball in space than your starting running back, which to me is backwards. I understand that means you'd have to take out a blocker, but if you're playing to throw the ball anyway, that fullback's not doing much, and. Part of it is scheme-related because it is learning a new system, so there will be learning curves. So the steps and the drops and the reads are just a little bit different for Matt. Um, having Hankerson out is a little bit harder. I don't think Hankerson's in any great shakes as a receiver, but he, he is well-versed in this system, and he was a big target at least to where Matt could be off a little bit on a throw, and Hankerson's a big mm-hmm. enough target to where he'd still at least have a play on the ball. Uh, all this stuff about Roddy is – completely people missing the point. That's people who haven't watched Shanahan offenses going back to his dad's days. Number two receivers don't get the ball in a, in a Shanahan scheme. They're there to block. It's It's been on every team. You look at it when he was with the Redskins, it was either Deshaun Jackson or Pierre Garçon. It was never mm-hmm. both. It was number one receiver, tight end, and running back out of the backfield or just running the ball. And that's the way it's always been with Shanahan. That's the way it's going to continue to be with Shanahan. I mean, that's that's just people getting a little caught up because it is Roddy and because he's been there. But people also need to realize that Roddy is not Roddy anymore. It's not the same Roddy that everybody's watched for, I think it's 11 years now. This is not like that. This is not that Roddy White. Yeah, and but my piece of that, too, and I, and I agree with that, but it, it also goes back to what we talked about earlier with Mark Frick, right, with – you know, you have to adapt to the system. You don't have a boss tight end. Like in Washington, Jordan Reed was a, is a really good tight end. He just has a hard time staying healthy. But he was a really good tight end, very athletic, and you can do those things over the middle. I don't think the Falcons have that with Jacob Tammy. They want him to be that, but he's not. So if that's, if that's your case, why not put Tammy on the same side as Roddy and do a little switch play where you let Tammy do some of that blocking and you let Roddy run some of those uh, tight end routes. So, you know, I don't think you can be so rigid with your system where it's to the detriment of your quarterback and to your offense. And I think that's what's happening because they just don't have that dynamic tight end that he, he likes to have. So switch up the game plan a little bit. And back to the other point, the two backs in the backfield, if you put Devontae out there, he's the smaller, shiftier guy. But Coleman is going to be as good and would pick up if, if not better than Freeman would be. So if you have them both on the field, you're not losing anything with your blitz pickup because you got your bigger, heavier back in the backfield, and you got Devontae out there in space. So I just like to see them get more creative and not be so uh, you know, stuck on, this is how I've always done this is how I'm going to continue to do it, and then you go out there and you just look shaky for an, another week. And and I think part of that rigidity uh, is is affecting Matt Ryan because, we. I mean, I don't think Matt Ryan should make $21 million a year. But he's not playing like no. Matt Ryan we know he can play like. You know, he's he's a much better quarterback than he's shown these past three weeks. And I totally agree. Um, there is a reason why somebody with the offensive prowess of Shanahan hasn't been able to stick with the team. And people will yeah. say that it's always been stuck on bad teams, but he's very abrasive, and his father was hard to deal with. Don't forget Kyle Shanahan was the first one to really cause a huge gap with RG3. Mm-hmm. And he's he's done it everywhere he's gone. He is hard to go because he's gung ho. My way is it. Uh, he doesn't really listen to the input of his players. But 
I mean, then again, if his offense has put up points, nobody's going to argue. It's the same thing as the Mike Shanahan rule. The whole Mike Shanahan thing was really should have tipped everybody off to how his son was going to be. I mean, people said those things about Mike. Mike Shanahan didn't magically overnight become hard to deal with. He was always hard to deal (laughs) with. He just put up ridiculous numbers so people didn't say anything. It wasn't until his team started doing a little bit bad that people were like, you know what, if he's not going to win, then this guy's a bit of a douche. You know, exactly. Winning cures everything in the NFL. So when your team's going good and you're winning and you're winning well, then nobody says anything. Everybody praises you and you're on the list to be the next head coach. Uh, When things start to get a little rough, then it's going to be your fault or why isn't everything clicking or things were fine before. I even heard something today where somebody was praising how good of a coordinator Dirk Cutter was and I had to turn off that show because I was laughing too hard because Dirk Cutter was a horrible, <laughs> horrible coordinator. Horrible ideas, horrible game plan. I mean, I don't understand what Tampa was thinking to bring in Dirk Cutter. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot I, of little I, things I that go into it. I'll be happy if the Falcons – I'm expecting them to get to 10 wins. I think they beat North – I think they beat New Orleans at home, although I've told you before – I'm always real leery about counting out New Orleans. I never like to count out Breeze. I never like to count out Sean Payton. And if they can start working C.J. Spiller into the game plan more like they're starting to, that's going to be a really dangerous weapon out the backfield. I'm not worried about Tampa. I think they're still too young. They'll shoot themselves in the foot more often than not. But they can put up points, and they have two big receivers. My biggest question on the defensive side is their unwillingness to – flip sides for corners if you notice that Giants game the Giants caught on early like oh well if you're not going to move Desmond Trufant around I'll just line Beckham up on Alford all game and I'll just throw to him all game and other teams have kind of caught on yeah yeah and I I didn't understand it in Seattle I never understood why why would you not let your quarterback or your your number one corner follow their number one receiver I mean Mm-hmm. Do you want your number two corner on their number one receiver? I mean, it's <laughs> the only difference is your initial setup. I mean, the only difference is, especially in the way in zone defenses play, like Atlanta's been a major zone coverage team this year. Um, the, mm-hmm. only, the only difference when the cornerback set, he turns in to face the ball. So he's kind of stagger step. Really, the only difference is which side you stagger to and your initial drop. That's really your initial step back is kind of the only differences. Um, it's a hard thing to do, especially when your drop-off level in your corners is so pronounced. When you go from Trufant to Alford or Collins, I mean, mm-hmm. you can't you can't live off doing that. But these are rich people problems right now. I mean, we're talking about a team that today, <laughs> that today would be in the playoffs. And look like they're going to be set up to at least be a wild card team. Because yeah, Carolina, very, very boy, they, they have proved. I did not think they were going to be able to do anything without any weapons. But, my goodness, that defense is something else. Yeah, and they talked about it on the, on the broadcast. You know, Ted Ginn, whenever he plays in Carolina, just plays out of his mind. So, <laughs> you know, they have weapons when they play in Carolina. You take them on the road, eh, not so much. Um, but I Except agree. they I went up and beat wins. Seattle. Yeah, exactly. And I think 10 wins for the Falcons, it really should oh, be it's their a huge floor. deal. I, I, I yeah. thought, oh, I, no, 10 wins for me will be a huge success of the season. I thought eight, and we talked about this already, 
I thought eight yep. wins was their absolute high point. But you're in a position where if you don't win ten, it's going to mean something went really, really wrong because you're you're almost halfway into the season and <laughs> you only need four more wins and you still have to play Tampa Bay twice. You still get New yep. Orleans at home. You still have to play yep. Carolina twice. I mean, they don't have a hard schedule the rest of the way. No, and that's what I was going to say. You get Tampa Bay twice, you should really win those games. You have to hold serve with New Orleans. So that's the third game. And then I believe they, they played the AFC South, and they've already played Houston. But then you, and Tennessee, yep. but you get Jacksonville. That should be another win. That's four. That's ten right there. And Indianapolis, and well, it depends. Yeah, so it depends on which Indianapolis team that you got. But Indianapolis doesn't look like they're world beaters. And Indianapolis only wins games in their division. They don't really win games outside their division. I think luck is like nope. It's like eighteen and eighteen against you know the rest of the league. So that you know that's ten eleven wins right there. And then um, they could beat Minnesota. I mean that, that's probably about fifty fifty game. Um, but they should beat San Francisco. So that's what I'm saying. I oh, think they would ten wins. San Francisco. Yeah. So I think ten wins. You know, might be aiming too low. They really could get to eleven or twelve wins. And then you look around the NFC, you know Green Bay is going to win the NFC North. Um, nobody's going to really challenge them for that. You may get Minnesota vying for one of the wild card spots, but Bridgewater's still young. Um, the NFC Arizona. East is wide open. Arizona's yeah, going to win. The Rams could, yeah. though. Don't sleep on the Rams, especially with True. Gurley healthy and playing out of his mind. That gives yeah. the Rams a lot of bounce. Um, and that defense True. of theirs, let's not forget about their defense. Yeah, very, very. I don't very think true. I don't think Atlanta's suited up well in the playoffs this year. But just getting to the no. playoffs this year is is a win. I'm not looking for them to be a title contending team. Uh, before before we switch over, because I kind of want to talk about something else real quick. Yeah, what do you sure. think about the trade line? I've heard a lot of uh, I've heard a lot of chatter about maybe going after. Uh, there's been a few people. I heard one today about Greg Hardy, and I would say no, just for the fact that he's a knucklehead. I know he's great at rushing the passer, but I don't want to deal with that, and I don't trust him. Um, I was thinking needing a tight end, knowing how bad Chicago is, I would try to target Martellus Bennett and see if you could maybe get him for a fourth-round pick. Yeah, um, and you know I've heard other things out there. I I would like them to go get Vernon Davis because I think he's done, but – if you no, could I think pry, done. if you could pry Ladarius Green away from San Diego, if if you say you're going to keep uh, Gates for a couple more years, but Green is a very good athletic young tight end, and I Green's don't fantastic. think he gets a lot of credit. Yeah, he's, he's just That's stuck a, behind a Hall of Famer. Exactly, I mean, and I'm wondering how much longer he's willing to be stuck behind the Hall of Famer. That's who I would target because they need a tight end for everything that we talked about earlier. Because Shanahan desperately wants to get the ball to the tight end. The only reason I say Martellus is San Diego knows what they have in Ladarius Green. They know how good mm-hmm. he is, and he's young. So I think that would up the bidding for at least a third-round pick. And with all the needs you still have, I don't want to give up one of your top three-round picks. I think you I have too many holes. I think you've I'll got know. too many I'll holes you need to fill. And you can find – I think Martellus would be a better fit. One, he is gigantic. Yeah. Two, he's quick. Three, he runs really good routes. And his blocking has come a long way since he's been in Chicago. Uh, I think he would cost you less, and he would give you at least the same production as the dairy screen. Um, 
there's there's a few things, but then again, it's the NFL and people get hyped and talk about trades. But I don't, I I can't make myself believe any trades are really going to happen. They never no. seem to happen in the NFL. It's too hard. It's too hard to go to another uh, – unless you go to somewhere where you play with that coordinator already and you already somewhat know the playbook, it's too hard to jump schemes in the middle. This isn't baseball where you can just play second base because second base is universal. You know what I mean? It, it just doesn't work that way for football. And, and, I mean, you only have so many sets you can run in basketball, you know. Football is just a different exactly. animal. It's too hard to get in there and learn it. Um, but with, I think with Bennett, though, is a bigger deal. Yeah. Yeah, with Bennett though, he's got to be the security blanket because you got to think they got Marquise Wilson, they got Alshon Jeffrey. They're very young on the outside, so you're going to get some of that inexperience with the route running. You can, you know, put the bank on Martellus Bennett over in the middle, and if you get rid of him, that's really going to make color look worse if that's even possible. So that's why I say I think Chicago may end up driving the bend up on Bennett as well because he's one of the uh, one of the few um, surefire things they have on offense. So, but that would be that would be nice, but I just don't know if Chicago's going to, you know, I think they've been burnt once. They gave away Greg Olson to Carolina, and you see what's happening. Yeah, I just don't think they're going to be on the receiving end of that again. Yeah, how about Greg Olson this year, playing out of his mind? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The only reason Chicago is, with the way trades are in the NFL, I think, I really think they may be one of the only sellers at the deadline. You've heard they're going to try to deal Forte, and yeah. they're really just looking to rebuild from the ground up because they're going to have to, they're almost in a spot where they need to tank because they have to get a quarterback. Yes. Um, last few minutes, though. So, what do you say basketball tips off tonight? And before we even touch on that, i got to give you props for your Bengals, man. They're looking for real this year. Yeah, Andy is playing himself into the NBA uh, conversation right now. I mean, he's he's playing. I would give it personally to Cam right now because without Cam, Carolina may have one win. Uh, but, yeah, he's playing <laughs> good ball with – but we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna find out though. Um, this stretch here, when they, when they going into Pittsburgh, um, getting Big Ben back, you know Pittsburgh is going to be ready for Cincinnati to try to knock them off that throne and get a little bit closer in the AFC North. So they're, they're getting these little mini tests throughout the season. You know, first with Seattle, could they put the nail? On, you know, Baltimore, could they put the nail in the coffin? Lord, did we know they were gonna be this bad? But then Seattle. Um, doing the same thing to Kansas City, can you then come and, you know, almost put this division on ice? If you beat Pittsburgh and get a three-game lead um, and it's the game done. was in hand already, it, it's over. So that's what I'm going to say. I mean, are, they gonna, are they able to fix that? The scarier thing is they're doing this with Jeremy Hill having a really down year. He's finally starting to break out of it a little bit, but they've they've staked out to an undefeated lead with, with their best – running back not doing much. I mean, once he gets the ball rolling, that is going to be a mm-hmm. scary, scary offense. But you know what's really silly is that Geo took a step back and Hill took a step forward to kind of even them mm-hmm. out, and now Hill is taking a step back and Geo's taking a step forward. So, like, it's almost like they have an ebb and flow to them where they see where one is struggling, the other one picks up the slack, and, I, you know, they look like they're pretty close. And and I love that about them, but it's just a little silly because we're all like, oh, you know, Gio's done, that's Hill's job, and it's like, oh, not so fast, you know, little Lee Corso, and then Lee, not you know, so Hill fast, comes back, <laughs> and then Gio takes off. So I agree, but um, they've got my hopes up a lot, and you know, as you as a Falcon fan know this as much as I do, that you know, you, you have to almost see them do it first before you can really believe it and see them do it repetitively, not one time, once every two years. I need to see them do it. Go into Pittsburgh which bulls on your back and knock them off and, and lay stake to the ownership of this division and then set your sights on 
Denver and New England for a bye. That's that's what I want to say. I don't worry about Denver. If I were you, I would worry about New England because they have just they have been just motoring people and just just straight stepping on people's throats to start. We got about five minutes, and I do want to talk to the NBA, and I want to get the World Series in real quick. Uh, we'll go World Series first because we'll, we can do this real quick. Uh, what's your predictions to the World Series? I'm going to go with the Mets in six. I just think those arms, that rotation, uh, you know, with Thor and DeGrom and Harvey, and you can put Cologne in as middle relief if any of them get somewhat shaky. And I like Mats as well. I just think that that staff is going to be too much to overcome because you don't get an off day with them at all. I know the Mets' offense is Daniel Murphy and Cespedes and then Daniel Murphy again, but it's I just like the arms and, and pitching generally shows up in the postseason in the World Series. Um, I love the Kansas City team, and you know I love Cueto, and I would love for him to do well, but I just have a hard time. The Mets, the Mets just look like they're on a magic carpet ride right now, and I just can't go can't go away from them. I'm going to go with them in six. What about you? I'll agree with you in the six games, but I think it's going to be KC. I think oh. that I think. I think the Mets have a better starting rotation, but that bullpen for the Royals is ridiculously deep, completely lights out. And I think the Royals are an all-around better team when you take into account fielding and base running and contact, everything involved. I don't think you're going to see Murphy continue that historic home run streak. It'd be cool to see, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think Cueto will have at least one giant game playing for that contract. Uh, I think your Danny Ventura will be able to win a game. I think the Mets win two. I think they win one behind Harvey, and I think they win one behind the Grom. I don't think Syndergaard wins. Uh, for all for how good and how big he is, uh, he still leaves a lot of pitches over the plate. And this Royals team is a team that can plate gap to gap. And the Royals were better at home than the Mets were. Both of these parks are about the same type. Coffin's a little bit more pitcher friendly, but it's not far behind. It's not far ahead of City Field. And don't forget, the Royals have home advantage. Royals have home field, and I think that's a huge deal in the World Series. It is. It, it, it is. I just, I just, I'm just with the Mets, uh, the staff, um, and that could be true because um, you guys, you know, basically that strikeout pitch is going against a team that doesn't really strike out that hits the contact a lot. So, and they, like you said, they're great running the bases. I just, I, it's just something about the way the Mets are playing right now. Uh, behind that staff and, and just getting timely hit. And even with Granderson, you throw him in there and you get David Wright to get back moving. I think, you know, they have enough pieces. I think it's going to be good. I don't think it's going to be blowouts in any game. You no. Know, a lot of 2-1 two, two, games. Yeah. So it could swing. You know, it could be 4-2 either way just because I think the games are going to be so tight. Plus the Royals have my boy Alex Gordon, who should be your next Atlanta Brave. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I was waiting on it. <laughs> we got NBA tip-off tonight, and it's going to be the start of another season. Uh, what are you thinking about the Hawks? I don't want to hear anything about Cavs. I don't care about LeBron. We are, we already know they're going to be good. I don't care. It's enough about LeBron. Uh, what do you think about the Hawks this year? I think for the Hawks, they have to have, and I told you about this before real quick, I think it's Teague. I think Teague is the one guy on that team that when you get in the playoffs, it's the fourth quarter, and you have to make a play or get somebody else to uh, offer your drive, dribble penetration to make a play. He's the one guy, I think, that can do that, that can get his own shot and or create for somebody else, i.e. your Kyle Corver in the corner for the three. I think he has to make that leap, and I think they have to foster that. I know they want to play good team basketball, and that's all well and good. I love team basketball, but sometimes you have to have a guy that can break the defense down and get you timely buckets. I think it's Teague, and I hope that he can take that step for the Hawks. I think they get 
one of the top four seeds because let's be honest, the East isn't that great. Um, but that's that's not expectation for them. That's what I'm looking for throughout this year to see if they'll let him take off. I agree with a lot of those points. You got to have some person step up, and the thing with Teague is you need to see it consistently. He can do it, mm-hmm. and he can do fantastic, and then he'll disappear for stretches. Uh, mm-hmm. I've heard I've heard a bunch of different things. I don't think the Hawks will be as good as they were last year. I don't think they win mm-hmm. sixty. I think they're in that. I'll say fifty to fifty-three wins. I think that's their cap this year. Um, last year was a fluke season. As good as it was, winning 19 in a row is never anything more than a fluke. Uh, you just don't mm-hmm. do that. I think they're a great regular season basketball team because they play team defense and because in the regular season defense isn't as stressed and because starters don't play as many minutes. But yep, it all so goes back. I think, I think we're going to get cut off. I don't think they're a postseason team. We did? Yes. No, we get cut off. All right, real quick, I don't think they're a postseason team because I don't think they have that go-to guy. But it'll be fun to watch, and I've got to make sure I check out a few. 